Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or 500 people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can't get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squonk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. Welcome on in, guys, to another episode of The Squonk and the Hag. And tonight, it is a crack hotel. And boy, is it. Oh, no. All right, mates and Sheila's, grab on your thongs and let's go on down to the billabong. We're going to be looking for the bunyip. Oh, God. Oh, God. When you asked if I was ready, I didn't expect that. I was told I had to by a certain dragon because I did that while I was writing this up because... Yeah, and she was like, you better do that when you start recording. That was amazing! Are you going to read the whole story like that? No. Okay. Uh, unfortunately for everyone else, no. Well, I I do have to give you credit, because it's got to be hard to do an Australian accent when you already have a southern accent. The funny thing is, the Australian accent is the one I can do the easiest out of all the accents. I can't do any other accent but that one. Really? I just think it's interesting because they're both very strong accents. They 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 have a very demanding presence, so it's just well, I can I don't know I can do a a terrible Indian slash King Julian accent because apparently to, to Bobo when I tried to do the King Julian accent, it came across as like a really bad Indian accent. Great, so we're offending lots of people now. Awesome, awesome. Basically, yeah. Which is why I'm going to stop there with the accents, and we're just going to do this normally. I've tr- I've tried accents. I'm, I'm not very good at it yet, though. I mean, I'm not good at it either, but it doesn't stop me. This is true. Well, I when we started our D&D campaign, or my D&D campaign as a DM, I was like, okay, I'm going to do different voices for different characters to help differentiate them, and that didn't even make it to the first session. Like, I was practicing when I was home alone and things like that. And I'm like, this is just, Mm -hmm. this is real bad. We're not going to do this. (laughs) Fair enough. That's what, uh, that's when you just hook your speakers up and you just go upstairs, put the speakers downstairs and then use uh, voice mod, use the voice filter from upstairs. Like, excuse me, I got to go run upstairs to do the voice. I'll be back. It's like, excuse me one moment. I uh, have to, to go get something. And then you just hear this. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. (laughs) Yes, I love it. (laughs) So tonight you said we are going to talk about the bunyip. Yes, we're we're traveling to the land where everything will try to murder you. Australia. I love, I'm sure you've seen it, the little meme where it says not everything in Australia is trying to kill you. Some things aren't big enough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's that little tiny, like, critter, and he has, like, these real sharp teeth holding someone's thumb, like, ah! That's basically Bobo. <laughs> ha- has, like, the intent to bite and to, to maim and murder, but really they're just too small to do anything about it. Well, your ankles. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Moving on. 
So out of all of these creatures in the Australian outback, there's there's one that's just a little bit built different compared to the others. And and I mean it's very built different because based on who tells the story, the description changes. Um it's been described as a giant starfish, a crocodile with a head that resembles a dog. It has supposedly has feathers, fins, tusks, uh, even beards, a duck bill, a horse tail, or just a single eye, or a, maybe a mouth on the stomach. All of those descriptions or combinations of some of those things have been used to describe this thing. I want to see a crocodile with a head resembling a dog that has feathers, claws, fins, tusks, a beard, a horse tail, and a single eye. I want to see this one. Yeah, well, the best I could do was the uh, concept art that I included in the, the document here, but that's that's the closest we're going to get. Womp womp. But Bobo and I, she was the fly on the wall in the room while I was writing this up, and I was just like, maybe I figured out why our Krako. Maybe I came from Australia because... Not to offend anyone, I was reading a lot of words here, and I was like, why Why do these words kind of sound like word salad, like they were made up? <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> I'm trying to digest that sentence. I was reading a lot of words, and why do these words sound like word salad? <laughs> it's exactly, yes. It's just, why does it sound like... Okay, so this thing is known as... Commonly, it's known as the Bunyip. But some of the other names that has been given... The Wowie Wowie. The Yalu. This one I'm, I'm going to butcher if I haven't already butchered the other ones. The Kian Prati. And the Dongu. This literally just sounds like a normal conversation with you. I see where you're coming from. Exactly. And Bunyip is actually... Surprise, surprise. It's not an English word. It is a word that is from the Aboriginal or one of the native languages from Australia. And that language is called Wimba Wimba. I love it. <laughs> it's perfect. So in Australia, you could quite literally go down to a billabong and start speaking with a local in Wimba Wimba. Again, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but tell me that doesn't sound like a Dr. Seuss book. It doesn't sound real but I am happy that it is. Exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. So we, as, as I was writing, I was just like, this is, yeah, this is the perfect one for me to research. <laughs> so despite all of these different random descriptions, one thing is certain, though, it's, it's big enough to eat a human. Okay. Because why not? That's a little... I don't know why I was thinking it was small. Yeah, no, it's, it's big enough to eat someone. And, um... Hey, Krakow. Hmm? Why don't you go find a bunyip and see if it'll eat a human? I'd rather not. I mean, I'll go find one. I'm going to keep my distance because, like, you know, some stories say that it's a terrifying predator, but others are like, no, it's friendly. It's just a guardian of the of local wildlife. It's sort of like Australian Lorax, basically. Well, how are we going to know if it's friendly if you don't get close? Are you coming with me this time or are you going to meet me there? I will shoot all of this from a distance for our documentary. Oh, we're in a helicopter. You're filming out the side door, and I'm just attached to a harness and a rope, and I'm dangling like six foot off the ground. <laughs> You're just like a giant cat toy. 
basically and you're just flying over all the, all the creeks watering holes just seeing what comes out of the water i just imagine in all of this like it's like this big epic scene it's all these things and you're just hanging in there and you're like you got a wedgie <laughs> You just see the rope hanging down. It's like a far off cinematic shot. There's like some dramatic music playing. The helicopter's coming over the horizon. Then it zooms in on the bottom of the rope and it's just me dangling there in a harness. Someday, someday, if one of us ever becomes rich and famous enough to do it, we need to enact this scene. We need to make this happen. (laughs) Like it doesn't... This is why I don't have money, is because I would spend it on dumb stuff like this. But, like, it doesn't even have to be in Australia. We can just go to, like, a random field in Pennsylvania and just, like, fly you over and dangle you there just hanging from this harness. Like, really uncomfortable. If we get the money... If we get the money to shoot a scene like that, I want to film a whole short film like you did with the YouTube video where, uh, the, uh, To Catch a Lorax... We need to do that IRL. That was amazing. Uh, we never did uh, part two of that, did we? No, we didn't. Now I want to go back and watch that. Maybe we'll have to rewatch part one and make part two now. So back to the story. The Bunyip has been part of Aboriginal history and tradition for centuries and is still well known today. I think I even came across in my research, there's an attraction, um, I forgot the name of the bridge, but um, where they have an animatronic bunyip that kind of comes out of the water that you can just go see. Which form? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You said they have an animatronic, but which one? Uh, oh, which form? I'd missed that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I just, you just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, I asked a question, my dude. The answer is yes. It's funny enough, I... it Which bunyip? It, it doesn't really have any of those forms. It really just kind of looks like a really strange type of lizard dinosaur thing. It looks like bootleg Godzilla. <laughs> like it's bright lime green. And it's just kind of funny looking. I think bootleg Godzilla is one of my new favorite descriptions of something ever. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe it, because like it almost looks like a dinosaur, but it's bright lime green. There's no shading at all. It's just all bright lime green. They're just white. It's, it was thrown together very quickly. It sounds amazing. Okay, so imagine if if Krakow was tasked with making an animatronic bunyip. That is what they got. But theirs works. Mine wouldn't. I was going to say, does it actually animatronic? Well, by animatronic... It just rises and lowers out of the water. Okay, so it's not like its mouth goes roar and its arms move. No, it's just like a, a statue that is hooked to a thing that raises and lowers it out of the water. Okay, I mean that's still it's still fun. It just could be better. Yeah, it, it could be like oh I don't know the T Rex from Jurassic Park. Yeah, it, it's by no means Universal Studios quality, but it's still kind of cool. But I think, I don't know if you'll be happy to know this, or I, I don't know, but it, the bunyip can't go on land. There's no reports of it on land. It's an aquatic creature. Okay. So it's said to live in, like, large bodies of water, like ponds, swamps, creeks, riverbeds, water holes, and... Water. Like, most, if not all cryptids, there's not really anything on the origins of where it came from. It came from the water. Um, 
But as I said, the word <laughs> wooder. <laughs> it came from the wooder. We're gonna write a story just from the point of view of someone from Pennsylvania, and it's gonna be called "It Came from the mm-hmm. Wooder." Mm-hmm. 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 Actually, I think it was funny. Uh, yesterday, I was in the office for work because we had our uh, company meeting, so we work remotely. But anybody who's in driving distance of the office, when we have like the big company meetings, everybody comes in for the day. You get lunch and you know all this kind of stuff, and uh, our CEO. <laughs> was up in front of the company on the stage, the little microphone, and he was talking about water. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, yes, he says it right. <laughs> because it's funny, Pennsylvania is actually divide. Like, there's a there's like a line mm-hmm. down the middle of Pennsylvania on whether you say water or water. Mo just in the back with the like the foam finger and then the noisemaker just like he said water. Yeah, it's it's funny because like once you get to central Pennsylvania and go west towards Pittsburgh, they start saying it weird. Oh, you mean like water? Wart wart water. There. Wa wa water. I'm gonna start saying it even more wrong on purpose. I it's not water, it's not water, it's water. I'm trying! <laughs> Although it is funny, it drives Chris crazy because... So I'm from, you know, about an hour away from Philly, and he grew up in central Pennsylvania. And he says it the wrong way. And my whole family says water. And he's like, why? <laughs> Why do you guys say it like that? And it's like, because that's how you say it. He's like, that's not how you say it. That's not how you say it. So what I'm hearing is I definitely need to visit just so I can be on Team Water. You, with with that and the tomato pie, I swear you are going to get bludgeoned to death in Philadelphia. And then I will cover the story on the podcast. I already... Listen, I already told you I want to go to, like, a little small locally owned shop who's going to sell tomato pie and be like, yeah, can I get one of those pizzas with no toppings, just sauce and bread? Yeah, and I have told you what Philly is like, and you should know that they will punch you in the face if you do that. Tomato pie is sacred, and it is not pizza. One day, the actions of my consequences will catch up to me, but I don't know, I'm pretty fast. You took a calculated risk, but you were really bad at math. Boy, am I. Back to Australian cryptids. Mm-hmm. As I said, the word bunyip comes from the Wimba Wimba language of the native people of Victoria in southeastern Australia. And it's funny because even though some people think that it's a harmless creature, that word translates to devil or evil spirit. Which makes me think it's not friendly. But despite that, and all the reports of several Aboriginal people being, quote, hugged to death by this creature. I'm guessing that's that's how it how it does its thing. Um, I mean, if you're gonna go, being hugged to death isn't the worst. Fair. Fire is. Or drowning. Or both. No, fire is. Fire's been proven to be the most painful way to die. Okay, fair. We've talked about this before. Yes, yes, we have. But drowning's up there as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although when with stuff like that, usually, well, for both of them, you do. 
uh, depending on the amount of pain, the amount of smoke inhalation, the amount of water inhalation, you might pass out and then you just don't know anymore. But just not knowing anymore is probably the best. Yeah. But despite yeah. the reports yeah. of deaths and the translation straight up just being evil spirit, actually the native Australians view the Bunyip as like, as I said, the Lorax of Australia. It's the protector of Australia's wildlife rather than a man-eating monster. I mean, maybe, maybe it would it would murder someone or eat someone if it if, if this person was doing something to harm the wildlife or the environment or something. I'm not sure, but yeah, I was kind of thinking that like if it's a protector. Maybe the, those people that were killed were harming its territory, harming nature, harming something. And they just, they got the, the horns. Mm-hmm. Mayhaps. But either way, whether it's good or evil, most natives believe that the Bunyip also has supernatural powers, like being able to alter the water level at whatever body of water it's currently in, or it can use its thunderous roar to keep out unwelcome visitors. I couldn't find much else about this legend and where this came from, but apparently there's a legend that the Bunyip hypnotized a woman and kept her as a slave for several weeks until a large thunderstorm broke the spell. That's odd, because like... Well, I guess if he, if if it can't leave the water, it needed someone to like go get stuff on land, maybe. They called Uber Eats. Yeah, it was like Uber Eats, DoorDash, you know. Excuse me, I'm gonna need you to get my groceries for like the next week. It's just weird that there's only one story of that. Yeah, I only found that, and it didn't really go into any detail other than just that. So I'm hmm. not 100% sure on that one, but I thought it was interesting. Hmm. But then we have physical evidence of the Bunyip. Oh. The earliest known evidence of it is a, a set of large bones that were discovered in 1818 by a famous explorer named Hamilton Hume. So I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that last name right. Sure. It, I mean, it looks right. Um, he didn't think that the bones belonged to a Bunyip. He was just like, nah, they're probably the bones of a manatee or a hippo. But when the Philosophical Society of Australasia wanted him to go back and get the uh, the bones and send them to their headquarters so they could investigate, he declined. So those bones just kind of disappeared. Hmm. He was just like, nah, nah, it's fine. You don't need to look at those. That, that makes me just wonder, because I'm suspicious of everybody and everything now. Um, yeah. Like, did he not actually find anything? Or did he find something and he was covering something up? Or did he murder the Bunyip? I mean, there's another story that we'll get to in, in just a little bit about a, another possible murdered Bunyip. So there may be several. Aww. Multiple Bunyips. Why would someone murder a Bunyip? Who knows? Why are people? Why would someone murder multiple bunyips? But another set of bones were found later on in 1830 in Wellington Cave by an anatomist named Sir Richard Owen, who was able to actually identify these bones as a, belonging to a large extinct marsupial. But he did note that when he found these bones, surrounding tribes held the belief that a similar creature lived in the nearby waterways and ponds and stuff. Like, hmm. I'm, I'm, I noticed a theme here that, like, hmm. a majority of the native tribes of Australia, all of them 
believe in the bunyip, and all of them have like their own description of it. Yeah, that makes me wonder because um, you're saying it was a large extinct creature. Yeah, and we we do know nowadays that sometimes things that are thought to be extinct weren't really or they come back somehow or something like that yeah, and so what if this was like a creature that was like roaming around the the creature that they're talking about because I had to look it up because I had no clue what, what it was but it's uh, Diprotodon if I'm pronouncing that right it looks basically like a giant capybara Aww. I love capybaras but that's that I, I believe that was the creature that he was talking about that was extinct that they found the bones in the cave okay I mean that would make sense if it's similar to a capybara they they do like the water so capybaras like everything they get along with everything I love it it's because they're friend shaped they are friend shaped I love mm-hmm. uh, have you ever seen the, the capybara in a little sombrero that had a guinea pig on its back wearing a smaller sombrero oh my god yes that's just happiness in a photo the capybara is just king of the guinea pigs. Well, like, I know this has come up in like across the internet a lot of, like, guinea pigs are technically wild animals. Like, they've been domesticated. Can you imagine just going somewhere and there's a guinea pig, just a wild guinea pig? Yeah, it's funny because I've, I've, I've never thought about seeing just wild guinea pigs. Just like looking out into a field and seeing a bunch of little guinea pigs just running across the field. But they're really cute. I mean, I would be going and trying to pet them, but, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we know the general consensus is that I'm going to die trying to pet something I shouldn't. Yeah, same, probably. Well, I mean, depending on if we're in the same place at the same time, it might just be a, together. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. actually seems very likely. It's like, well, the podcast's over. Mo and Krakow met a bear and podcast is over, had cute dude. ears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they wanted to touch the the toe beans. Oh, they have such good toe beans. Okay, sorry. Back to the story. I'm sorry. Hmm, yes. But we love a good rabbit hole, though. It's fine. Or a guinea pig hole. (laughs) Bruh. I'll stop. Okay. So, in more sightings and reports, uh, a local newspaper, the Geelong Advertiser, announced in 1845 that another set of fossils had been discovered, but this time they were identified by a local Aboriginal man who claimed that they belonged to an undiscovered species known as the Bunyip. So, this man was claiming that these, these bones that they had found were real, and the Bunyip is just a species that hasn't been discovered yet. Hmm. But this story, when it came out, this is kind of what sparked everyone. Now everyone is seeing a bunyip since it's been made popular by this uh, this article. Because after this, now nah, that's when the story started to come in. Yeah, makes sense. And I'm here for it. Yeah, same. And then later on in 1847, someone had discovered a strange skull... And many people claim that it belonged to the Bunyip, even though experts had already identified it and said that it belonged to a deformed fetal calf, apparently. Uh, there's a photo of that on down in the, the notes here. Uh, a sketch of it, not an actual photo. But despite the experts saying that it was from a calf, the skull was accepted into the Australian Museum in Sydney, where it, they displayed it and listed it as a Bunyip skull. Huh. And... 
obviously that was very popular. Everyone came out to the museum to see the Bunyip skull. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. I want to go see the Bunyip skull. Well, unfortunately, you can't because it was mysteriously stolen. Of course it was. Yeah. That actually reminds me, um, there's a museum in Philadelphia. The, uh, the, I don't know if it said mutter or muter. And it, right now there's a little bit of a controversy, but it has, uh, scientifically preserved skeletal, you know, skulls, bones, etc., I thought that I didn't think that was in Pennsylvania. I thought that was somewhere else. It's the, the it's the the Mutter Museum. Yeah, it's in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Oh, well then, <laughs> I can go visit this museum. Yeah, I was gonna say when you come up, we should go. Um, yeah, but I know, like right now, they're under fire because uh, there are remains in there that mm-hmm. would not have had like. They don't have permission to own or display them because they died hundreds of years ago. And there's not really any relatives they can track down. Yeah, and now people are like, do you have the right to display them? Yada, yada, yada. I, I haven't been following the story too closely, but I do hope that people understand the, the intent and the purpose and the importance of it. Because, you know, this is... I think there was something also about it where, where, like, people got the wrong idea that they were doing it not for medical reason, but for, oh, you know, it's, that's cool kind of vibe because a lot of people that would visit that museum obviously are people who are into more of, like, the goth aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I think people who are more into that or who are interested in that, not, you know, they're into interested in it just because, like, scientifically that's kind of cool yeah and it, it's a little bit of like bias and prejudice against the types of people who would be interested like yeah. I would love to just go like maybe Chris and I will go down because Philly is so close um, and like just you know just the knowledge and things and it's like who cares if yeah. you're what your aesthetic is like how you dress or what your interests are like this isn't You know, there are murder museums, there are all kinds of things like that, whereas this is legitimately talking about genetics and medical deformities. Yeah, like it actually, yeah, it actually goes into the science of it. So, yeah, but I was that like when you were saying about going to see the Bunyip skull immediately, my brain went to the murder museum and um yeah you know thinking about because they they do have a um a huge display of um skulls yeah i've seen some photos of like some of the different stuff they have in there i was like it's kind of interesting yeah they actually have a skull collection um it's uh that's a thing yeah it's like over a hundred different skulls fair enough yeah and like they're they're well over 100 years old. So it's like just really intriguing to see the the changes because the, the human race genetically and everything is slowly mutating and changing over time. That's why you have um, internal organs that you don't need, like your gallbladder and your spleen. Um, that's why, you know, you have extra teeth and stuff like that because, like, you don't need your wisdom teeth. Fair, yeah. Um, so it's like... Yeah, we're, we're, we're slowly changing over the years based on needs and, you know, like, people used to be a lot hairier. 
but then you know you started removing hair and all that kind of stuff so it's like seeing how the skeletal structure has changed over the years too because people used to be shorter and um you know just so many different things from environmental and social aspects of life so you know if you live in different climates different um types of dwellings and things like that you don't need to be as short you don't need to be this you don't need to be that so then the body just slowly changes into what is you know there's a best for the area there's also that thing like where you make a fist like some people have that like tendon that you can see in your wrist and some people don't Mm -hmm. some people can curl their tongue yeah i can Hmm. also i can wiggle my ears because there's an extra muscle um it's kind of so it's like a like right in front of your hairline yeah there's an extra muscle in there and it kind of almost lines up with your jaw uh, muscles a little bit and it allows me to move my ears back and forth this is like the scene with green goblin and spider-man we're not so different you and i i can do it too (laughs) (laughs) so uh, um am i spider-man or green goblin Think about the two people in this scenario, and you tell me which one of us is the Green Goblin. <laughs> you, do you really have to ask that? Fair. 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 I walked right into that one. Exactly. Anyway. So, yes. Um, you need to come up here, and we need to go look at a wall full of skulls. <sighs> Sounds fine to me. Yeah. I see nothing wrong with them. Back to the button, yep. Back to the sightings, yes. So, sometime before 1847, there was an explorer named George French Angus. Um, He gathered a description of the creature from the Morundi people of the Murray River, stating that the Bunyip is, is a quote from his writings, uh, much dreaded by them, it inhabits the Murray, but they have some difficulty describing it. Its most usual form is said to be that of an enormous starfish. Okay. So this is where that enormous starfish comes in. Yeah, so apparently that tribe saw it as a enormous starfish. Could it be that there are actually multiple different creatures that people mistakenly think are the same? Like, they they hear the name Bunyip and they think it's all the same thing, but it's actually multiple ones. Like, there's a crocodile with a dog's head. And there's a giant starfish, and there's this thing over there, and they think all of them are the bunyip, but it's actually like the bunyip, the bunyun, and the bunbur. <laughs> Mayhaps, yes. I mean, with the with like as big as as big as Australia is, and with all the different tribes there are, and all of them are in agreement on this creature existing, like. It'd be one thing if it was just one tribe, but, like, a lot of people across Australia have seen this thing, supposedly. Yeah, well, and I'm just thinking, like, the amount of different animals and creatures and species and everything on the continent of Australia, or country, whatever, in Australia. Um, It just makes me wonder if there are multiple giant things that could eat a person. I mean, maybe, yeah. Not scary at all. Totally. Let's go to Australia. No, yeah, it'd be fine. 
So our next piece of evidence is uh, in 1851, the Australasian newspaper put out a report on what is known as the, I'm going to see if I'd, I'm going to read the, pronounce this as it's, as it's written, the Chalicum Bunyip. At the time there were, at the time they wrote this, there were three deep water holes in Fiery Creek that was about six and a half miles from Chalicum Station near Ararat, Victoria. And near those water holes, carved into the turf, was the outline of a bunyip. Huh. Someone had kind of carved it into the dirt, kind of traced it. Huh. Some people say that a group of aboriginals found the already dead bunyip and traced an outline of it before the body was moved. But other stories say that the group was actually attacked by the creature and one of them was killed before they were able to spear and kill the creature and then trace the outline before moving the body. I just think it's interesting that like they basically did the chalk outline. <laughs> Pretty much. But the interesting thing about their chalk outline was... Uh, they did everything they could to keep the outline intact. Uh, it was eventually over uh, covered by vegetation, and now it's barely recognizable. But um, a lot of the tribes who were, I guess, the the the, the tale of the outline was passed down to them through the years. Um, they would frequently make trips out there to this outline to retrace it to make sure it was fresh. Oh, it wow. stayed fresh. Like they, someone always went out to it to to recarve it and keep it fresh, so that way they would always have that there. Yeah, like it was that important in their history and stuff. They, that was the way that they had that they kept to document it, I guess. Yeah. Wow. But despite not being able to see specific details, they were still able to measure it. And from end to end, the creature was like 28 feet long or eight and a half meters long. Whoa. That's big. Mm-hmm. And that's also the uh, image that's in the notes there is the, uh, someone had made a sketch of what the outline looked like. Mm-hmm. It kind of looks... It could be like if the head was on the left, a dinosaur. If the head is on the right, it's an orca. It kind of reminds me of the, the Loch Ness Monster with legs. Yeah! Well, the Loch Ness Monster does have, like, if it's a plesiosaur. Yeah. It has, like, two giant fins, which would be this. Yeah, this is more like feet, though. Maybe they're just not really good at drawing. You don't know. Fair. I mean, it was also based off of a really old carving in the dirt, too, that had been kind of overgrown, so... Well, and maybe, like, do you, you know, when you trace over things, you don't always get it perfect. So maybe over the years, it True. adjusted slightly. And they're just like, this looks about right. Someone spilled their coffee on it, tried to wipe it up. What's funny to me is if you look at the sketch, I know it's not a land creature, but I'm just imagining this thing just kind of wobbling toward me. Well, I mean... Look at, like, the, the Carnotaurus and T-Rex and stuff like that, where they had, like, barely any hands. But they had, you know, legs, and they were fine. Ish. Yeah. They got a big hand and little arms. I'm not sure how well this plan was thought out. Just in case you were wondering if I had seen the movie or not, since, you know, it is me. I think it's funny that you've seen that, but you've never seen stuff like uh, Die Hard. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Our our next and I believe last 
account that we have here is uh, in 1852, it was a biography that came out. Um, it was written by an escaped convict named William Buckley. He wrote about his 30 years that he spent with the, um, I'm try to pronounce this again, Watharong people and their encounters with the Bunyip. Buckley wrote, In Lake Mudawari, as well as in most of the others inland, it's a very extraordinary amphibious animal, which the natives call Bunyip. And Buckley even claims that he saw this creature several times by adding, I could never see any part except the back, which appeared to be covered with feathers of a dusky gray color, and it seemed to be about the size of a full-grown calf. I could never learn from any of the natives that they had seen either the head or the tail. And Buckley also claimed that the creature is commonly found in the Barwan River. Okay, maybe I'm just confused. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't a full-grown calf be an adult? You have a point. And what kind of calf? Is it? Is it a cow? Is it... Maybe, maybe it meant, like, a full-grown calf before it grows all the way up to an adult? I, I'm, I'm not... You have a point there. Yeah, I'm just, like, trying to gauge a size. And to me... The calf is is full calf. It's not cow yet, but it's like right before it turns into a cow. Like a teenage cow. Mm-hmm. Maybe. But also a calf isn't really big enough to eat a person. At least I wouldn't think. Yeah, that's why I was a little confused. Like maybe a calf is something else. Is a calf something else in Australia? To be honest, I have no idea. I, I assumed it meant a cow. Yeah, so did I. Us entitled Americans thinking they mean a cow. Mm-hmm. You never know. Look at the Americans not knowing that a calf means a semi-truck. <laughs> what? Just gonna let that sink in. I I googled calf in Australia, and it's a little cow. It's a baby cow. Maybe the one that he saw was just a baby. Oh. Maybe. Oh, maybe he was saying... But no, I'm still confused by the full-grown calf. It is a weird thing to say, but like it's 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 kind of funny because I I kind of get what he means if he's talking about a calf. Like I I kind of feel like I understand what he's trying to say, which is just it's a calf, but like it's not a born this morning calf. It's that this calf was born a week ago. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. This calf knows how to walk. I don't know. They know how to walk from the day they're born. Listen, I'm just trying to find an explanation here. I have no clue. Oh, God. Welcome to the podcast. We're professionals. Yeah, this is the thing that we're focusing on. We're not focusing on the mythical creature that eats people. No, we're we're focused on the phrase full-grown calf. Mm-hmm. And also, okay, if he only saw the back... How does he know how big it is? Because if we're... Maybe he could be like... Well, yeah, because it says that they hadn't seen the head or the tail, so he wouldn't have seen... He would have literally just seen the back. Yeah, so what if it's like, you know, Loch, Loch Ness Monster or a plesiosaur, where it has a very long neck? Or what if it's like a brontosaurus? Long neck, long tail. You know, maybe then it's like five full-grown calves. Maybe it, it could be a thing where, like, 
from what the amount that he could see was the size of a calf and the whole full grown calf thing could be like someone saying it's very big. You don't really need the very. It's, you Maybe. know, he just added extra words. But yeah, I'm just kind of wondering like how big this thing was that he saw. And well, apparently everyone agrees it's big enough to eat a person. So, but this guy saw the back of it that was the size of a calf. So I'm not sure there, but yeah. And it just, to me, it sounds like a dinosaur because they does. think dinosaurs had feathers. Like yeah. what if this is a dinosaur that didn't go extinct? So let me go ahead and correct myself before I get roasted here. I'm not saying it's a penguin. But I'm pointing out that baby penguins do have what looks more like feathers than when they're fully grown. Then it just is like the the blubber kind of look. It's like the smooth look. It's not like fluffy feathers. So it could be like that. Yeah, so maybe this was a baby and it has the dusky gray feathers, just like a penguin. Mm-hmm. And then when it grows up, it, sheds the feathers. it loses the feathers and it has more of like a, although I, it, I don't think penguins lose their feathers. It's just, it's a different, yeah, it's a different type. It's like down or something. It's not yeah. like actual feathers, but maybe, yeah. but yeah, maybe it's a giant penguin. I mean, who knows? Like, everything in Australia is gigantic. Like, look at their spiders. Their spiders are not normal-sized spiders. Would their penguins be normal-sized penguins? Okay, so new conspiracy theory time. Are all the the creatures in Australia, are they giant, or are the people in Australia just small? Like, did everything in Australia just get shrunk down to size so everything else seems bigger? Except for that people who aren't from Australia go to Australia and experience these giant animals. No comment. Maybe Australia is like the Twilight Zone. You go there and you get shrunk down too until you leave. Does that mean that all of your things get shrunk down too? Because I feel like I would then show up and I'd be very little against a giant suitcase with giant clothes inside. Yeah, like everything that goes through the plane, everything shrinks. Everything goes through like a wormhole and just becomes smaller. It's like a force field. That's that's how everything that's in Australia can stay in Australia and it doesn't escape. So after all of those sightings and reports of the bunyip by the end of the 1850s the popularity of the bunyip began to kind of die down it was one of those things like it's not new anymore every everyone has seen the bunyip so it's nothing really new has come out about the bunyip lately so no new bunyip content except for the fact that uh they quite literally did turn the bunyip into the australian version of the lorax because they went with the more friendly herbivore version and turned turned the bunyip into children's books. And there's even a TV series, I think, of the bunyip. There's a TV series. Supposedly, there's a TV series. I did not look into what the name of it is, but supposedly there are children's books and a TV series based on the bunyip. That's awesome. And this part's a little weird. the The word bunyip became a little bit popular in the world of politics. What? They started using it as a derogatory term to make fun of political movements whose members were imposters or humbug. (laughs) Okay. They even used the word bunyip to mock a group of European settlers who wanted to create a new class in in Australian society. They called it the bunyip aristocracy. Wow. Okay. 
I don't know who thought that was a good idea to just make that into into a word to make fun of people, but here we are. They even used it at one point to attack the Liberal Party of Australia. Different. But as we mentioned with the uh, the extinct animal, the bunyip is now just seen as a folktale and people don't really think much about the, the fossils that were discovered and many theorize that the bunyip may have been the surviving dryptodon, uh, uh, excuse me, diprotodon. So some people think that some of them still evolved or the natives in Australia just over the centuries tales of seeing this creature before it went extinct just sort of got passed down and then people still remember it. Mm-hmm. But other than that, that is all I have on the bunyip for today. I love it. I just, I want to know which form or does, is it a, is it a shapeshifter? I was just going to say, maybe, maybe it's a shapeshifter. Oh, that's wicked. Well, well, that's that's a good uh, a good little test or uh, not test. A good question for everyone listening is, what do you think it is? Is it just tales passed down through generations? Is is could there be one still around, or or did it just a seal wander too far inland? Or is it Cracko? It could be a Cracko, maybe. Maybe it's my family. Well, thank you for the story. It's. I actually am happy because this is not disturbing like some of your recent tales last time. Yeah, this one actually was, was the tamest story I think we've done on here so far. Yeah, and it makes me happy. Especially since before bit. I hopped on the call, I was starting to research a new story for me. And it's disturbing. So, mm-hmm. hey! But yeah, that... Um, Speaking of when I said about the seal, that was actually one uh, guess is like maybe some of these natives who are inland and, you know, they don't really travel too far away from their camp where they're staying. um, Like there's a chance they wouldn't have seen a seal. And if you just suddenly had never seen a seal and one of them just kind of. Yeah. Found its way inland and started making the barking noises that it makes. I mean, I would be a little freaked out about that, too. Yeah. I love seals though. They're so cute. They're like they're like sea puppies. Sea doggo. Sea doggo. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Krakow, for the story. If you do want to let us know your opinions on what the bunyip might be, we would Or if you've seen a bunyip. Yes, or if you've seen a bunyip. So I know Spotify has like a thing where you can say if you like the episode or something like that and like leave comments or something it's not a review but it's like a a thing um there's also um our social media our website yada yada so you know let us know what you think there but we would appreciate it and love you forever yes Hey guys, Future Mo here. We uh, did not actually get to talk about this in the episode. However, there will not be an episode next week. I will be out of the state, so we are going to be skipping one week and then coming back after that with another true crime motel. So we'll see you guys then. Enjoy, and we love you guys. 
As always, make sure to check out our website for all of the show notes, sources, and more information at thesquonkandthehag.com. And we would also love and appreciate your support by either leaving a review on iTunes or through small monthly donations using the viewer support link in the description. And if you don't subscribe, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast network to get notified of new episodes every Thursday. All right, Krakow, you ready? Okay, bye.